0: Hi, I'm Saint Cloud Mayor Dave Glitz. Welcome to the fourth episode of the podcast, and uh, with me today are a number of folks that really lead our city of Saint Cloud's public safety. Um, you know, you're looking at it's not when you talk about public safety; it's not just uh, not just police and fire. There's a, there's a aspect of the the legal team. And inspections. Um, you know, if you're, if you're certainly, if you're going into a restaurant, if you're going to eat someplace, you want to make sure uh, that's safe. If you're renting an apartment, or if you're, uh, if you're living in a community, you want to make sure those things are safe. Or when people are building something, we want to make sure that uh, um, they're built safe. So it's all aspects of our public safety. And uh, in the, today's uh, episode, in fact, we have coming up tomorrow. Tuesday, um, the 25th of February at 6 p.m. at the police station in St. Cloud, downtown St. Cloud, at six o'clock is a public safety summit. Uh, We're doing a number of informational summits that will take place, in fact, um, uh, for the next six months. This will be the first. Um, You filled out a survey last year and last year you identified the top three things that uh, you want the city to focus on. Um, And quite frankly, these are the things that we would focus on, and this is what the city, all cities should focus on, and that number one being public safety, number two being uh, roads, and three, traffic. And so this is the first one, uh, tomorrow, the 24th, and then on the 23rd, or excuse me, tomorrow's the 25th, 25th, and then on the 24th of March, that will be at City Hall, and that will be a transportation summit talking about roads, traffic. In um, all aspects of, of, of public safety in when it, com- or when it comes to roads, and that infrastructure piece. Uh, in April, we will have our enterprise funds. Um, that will be the 21st, that's uh, also a Tuesday, um, and that will be on our enterprise funds. So it's uh, the issue of sustainability of water, sewer. Um, all of that aspect of our, of our budget that is dealing with uh, enterprise funds. May and June will be neighborhood. It's a neighborhood summit. We'll actually be doing um, all four quadrants of the city. Uh, we're going to focus on neighborhoods in each quadrant of the city, plus we'll have one uh, at City Hall that represents all neighborhoods. That is in the month of May and June. And then we will end in July with kind of a summit on the budget, which is similar to what we did with 101, St. Cloud uh, 201, 301, where we bring everybody together, and it gives you an opportunity to kind of look at what the city does. But we're going to kick it off uh, with public safety summit um, on Tuesday, 6 p.m. at the police station. Uh, so I will kick off this podcast uh, with our chief of police for the St. Cloud Police Department, uh, Chief uh, Blair Anderson. Chief,
1: thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Uh for having me in here today um
0: i, I should you, i should preface for the listeners and because i already gave you this ahead before but I, i'm going to have everybody introduce themselves and kind of you know kind of a little bit about about yourself and w- you know what's your passion what you know what you know why do you serve excellent. why do you do what you do
1: excellent well I, my name is blair anderson i've been chief here uh, it'll be eight years if you can believe that uh this well, summer here uh, in august uh, this is my 25th year in law enforcement, I'm a transplant from the great state of Michigan. I was not born and raised in Minnesota, but I lived here far longer than I did in my own home state. I came here to go to college and never never went back. So um, I can do testimonials for the chamber. Uh, That's good. <laughs> if, if, if they'd like. Well, eight uh, years is a
0: long time. It does fly. It just seems like yesterday that.
1: Um, it Well, it, it does, it especially when the average tenure uh, is four. But uh, I'm not saying that. To throw out any ideas I'm, I'm very happy to, to be here uh, and I'm happy with the support that that we get from this community um, when people ask me why I serve my answer is the same now as it was when I first started and I started 26 years ago as an intern I'm that corny guy that has always wanted to be a police officer to make the world safe for people and especially for kids um, and the reason besides the obvious is somebody did it for me Uh, and you know as tough as things are for us now with the national narrative um, it's still a very magnanimous profession and I am grateful that what you see going on in other places does not happen here in St. Cloud with respect to police community relations we really do enjoy tremendous support from, from our city and from our citizens and and at times like this that's invaluable so you, you guys get our best every single day well that service piece
0: is important and I appreciate uh, uh, you you actually um, I know you started service even before that because you're uh, you're a veteran so your military service eight years in the out. army
1: absolutely 10th Mountain division. First yeah, Gulf well, War. Thank, thank you for your service, and thank you for yours, yeah. and to all the other veterans out there. listening. oh yeah, a lot of a lot of folks. You got a lot of folks I know in,
0: uh, in department that uh, are part of that, and there's a lot of folks in the community. But that's uh, that's where that initial service um, inspires, and uh, you know, it's, it, it doesn't uh, doesn't happen unless your your you know your family was service oriented. So Absolutely, that's also a
1: my my dad was uh, in the army in the Korean War. And I, now that you mention it, when I, I was just thinking about this the the other day, because so I went into the military when I was 19, so my entire adult life, um, I guess I can say I've I've been of service. Yeah, to mine was 17. I Newcastle. did that.
0: They had that delayed enlistment program where you, I don't know what that ever did. I think that got more points or something. I think I got.
1: I think it was a, a way for recruiters to. Upload lock numbers in, and lock you in. Yeah, I think that was. They're taking advantage
0: of when I was only seventeen, but uh, no, that that's an important piece. But uh, you, you know, uh, oftentimes what we we hear, um, and um, I'll have you uh, introduce the assistant chief here too, uh, Jeff Oxen, who's uh, with you. Uh, we, you know, it, it is a challenging thing. We live in a, we live in such a, um, a, you know. Uh, social media driven society where so much is available instantly uh, to people and you know what what used to always be available in the media there was a lot of trust in it and and for the most part a lot of it was accurate in in the days when I was growing up now you've got you know you're just barraged uh, with information and not all of it is always accurate and and oftentimes even in the in the the, you know mainstream media that may be accurate but it tends to be a continuous focus, and I think that's always been the case on on the negative. Um, you know, and if, you know, I, I, I don't know what movie or television show I was watching or whoever pointed the phrase, if it, you know, if it if it bleeds, it leads. So it was always something that you would have on the front page, uh, crime. And I think with less and less of, of you know, in, in a lot of cases, content and media—it's focused on the negative, and that's all you see. So, if and then if you follow up on that on social media, you're barraged with it all the time. And you know, I, uh, you know, and what is it—the the, the adage that it takes um, it takes 21 positive statements to, to counter one negative, um, so your focus is always on that piece. Uh, but our statistics don't show that. Maybe maybe that's a good way to to segue uh, into and you know talk a little bit about that and also segue into uh, into the stats, which is going to be the only presentation we have at the summit on public safety. is going to be just so you get an idea of where we are, where we've been, and, and, and the best best way to look at crime today is to look at a trend. You can't just look. I mean, there any incident is going to be you know that point in time but you've got to look at over a long period of time and I think that's the presentation we're going to have the rest will be question answers and really people we want people to come with the you know come with the most challenging question you can you can have when it comes to public safety because we're transparent we want you to we want to have that dialogue and that discussion
1: Uh, agreed and I I would add to to your comments with respect to the media the competition for a story now uh, is exponentially greater than it it used to be when you had print and and maybe uh, Yeah Because amateurs are already already posting it. Well, everybody's a reporter, (laughs) and we've seen this firsthand. Uh, Oftentimes, when when something happens, uh, before we can gather all the facts and disseminate them to the public, several versions of the story have have already been splashed all over uh, social media uh, and the Internet. And, and so, what we wind up being reactive, and, and we spend much more time than I would like to debunking myths because oftentimes the, the entire uh, picture has not been painted. Uh, and then sometimes folks have moved on, and so it's too late for us to, to, to put that puzzle together and get those missing pieces in there. And, and so, again, that's why I appreciate our community when we ask them to wait and let us gather all of the facts. They do, and then when we tell them what's happened, they believe us because yeah. we've, we've taken the time to build that trust and legitimacy. Now, with respect to the stats, the assistant chief, uh, Jeff Oxton, is here, and I'll, I'm going to turn the mic over to him, and, and this is local homegrown talent. Jeff is born and raised I here. taught him how to drive years ago, yeah. so <laughs> in a I'm, different I'm turning this world. over because uh, <laughs> Assistant Chief Oxen does a phenomenal job at many things, but this is one of them—keeping uh, track. How's his driving? Of those you numbers. Ever been in the car with him? Uh, <laughs> I, I have. I have. It's good. he, he of course it is. I'm he hasn't hit anything <laughs> while I was in the car, but you may have just jinxed him. So, <laughs> yeah. but AC right. uh, Oxen does a great job of keeping and maintaining these statistics because they have to be accurate. We have to report this stuff to the FBI, and and there are sanctions. For doing that inaccurately, uh, or even appearing to be less than transparent, and so we take this stuff very seriously. But uh, Chief Oxton does a phenomenal job of tracking and, and maintaining these numbers and putting together presentations. So I'm gonna going a slide Chief, over uh, here while you're while mic. you're
0: grabbing the mic there. Um, again, probably the same question. Just you know, introduce yourself and kind of where your your background and what's uh, sure. what may why do you, sir.
2: Yeah. Uh, Jeff Oxton is my name. I'm from St. Cloud, as uh, you indicated. And I think that growing up uh, in a community and then serving that community is something that's really uh, a cool deal. And that's something I've been uh, privileged to do. I grew up on the northeast side of St. Cloud and I went to Apollo, graduated from Apollo. I ended up going to school uh, away for a little while. I spent some time away. I came back and I went back to school at St. Cloud State. So I've I've got ties to this community. Uh, I've seen the community grow and change and become the place I want to live. I used to not say that I, I was going to move somewhere else, and as many do when they're young. Um, and part of that was because I wanted a little bit larger, more diverse community. Um, and uh, when I came back here after going away to college, I found that that was this place and that this was changing in that way that I really wanted to stay. So I found my home here at St. Cloud Police Department, and I've uh, really been uh, so pleased to, to be serving this capacity. Um, I think a little bit of my reasons have changed for me, have actually changed a little bit. Um, when I initially went in, I'd never had a person in my family ever be a police officer. So this was completely new. And sometimes you hear about that story of that person that says it's in my family, it's in my blood. Well, it wasn't in mine. And I think that's part of what intrigued me because I heard about people Uh, that talked about a life of service and and how they spoke, exactly how you two spoke, Mayor and and Chief, about serving in the military or serving uh, at some capacity. And I think one of the things in college as I was kind of finding my way, I said, I wanna be able to say that about myself and about what I contributed to the world and to my community one day. And I think that's what drew me in. Um, I think today why that what something that really gets me fired up is what we're doing here and that's we're utilizing our field and policing to go outside the normal context or the normal bounds of policing as it's found in many places and working with our community working with our community partners and solving problems that oftentimes police just respond to Uh, here we're solving them uh, with the help of our community partners so that's what makes me want to show up here every day with a smile on my face and feeling energetic and taking on the next task so um, One of those things kind of to springboard into it is what you talked about, Um, and that's kind of combating what is truth, what is not. Because one of the things we know and I truly believe that if you feel something is a certain way, um, if that's how you feel, uh, that means more maybe than what's actually going on. So now when we look to social media, um, and what I'll say too is I think our our mainstream media still does a pretty good job of verifying things. If they run a story about government services or city services or police issues, they'll call us and they'll verify what we think about it or what we're seeing. What I think gets to us is when the smaller media or social media uh, sources start uh, looking into issues and printing stuff and it goes viral, Um, And they haven't ever called us. We don't get a call at the police department. The legal doesn't get a call. You don't get a call, mayor. Um, And so what it does is it runs and it starts these rumors. And so one of the things I find really important with our job is responding with what are the facts? What are we seeing? Um, I was listening to a radio show one day and I heard the caller say, and they were talking about crime in St. Cloud. Um, and the caller just said, "I wish they just talked about the numbers. I wish they just had numbers that would tell us what it was like then and what it's like now and how we can compare." And, and while I was listening to that, I was like, "We have numbers, <laughs> so we can do just that." And I think it's so valuable. I think that caller was right on the money by looking at those numbers and by looking at our trends and on our past and where we're at today, we can see how we're doing. Um, and so that's why I love to present on this kind of stuff. And and uh, it's pretty straightforward stuff. So. Well, And uh, that uh, will be
0: um, you know, it's a little tough in a, in a podcast to uh, to show those charts. Um, so uh, tomorrow night we'll have that opportunity. But if you you know we send out a newsletter and we sent it out to every resident that uh, has those statistics in our newsletter. Uh, that also is available on the city's website. You can grab the newsletter, but also you can go to the city's website and go to the St. Cloud PD and you'll see all of the stats too. I mean, this is also as um, uh, is, is both uh, both. Chief, uh, you've, you've said uh, this is something you have to report to the f- to the uh, federal government, and the federal government then sets sets that criteria and reports this out to communities around the um, the the challenge. I think um, that we all have as a community, and, I, and this I see in almost every aspect of what we do, we're uh, a city that has a population of sixty-eight thousand people, roughly around sixty-eight thousand people. But I, I can't for the you know I don't think anybody thinks that that's all we have. Uh, We have our population every day of the week more than doubles. Um, we're, We're looking at 170, 180. On a daily basis, and this isn't just numbers that um, you know we estimate. In fact, we we were just in an international competition, and they put us into a category above. You know, they put us into the category uh, above 100. You know, into the 150,000 category because that is our daytime population. It is it is people who are coming in from the region. We're a regional center. Uh, we're the second largest regional center in the state of Minnesota, They're next to the Twin Cities. We're just a little hair uh, larger than the Rochester regional center. So when people think about Rochester, which is a larger city as a region it's not as large as the region we have we have you know five cities we're in three counties um, we are in greater Minnesota. you know Uh, right in the middle of the state and I don't think uh, even you know just the students alone are close to 30,000 students uh, plus the fact that uh, on a daily basis people come here and shop and and, uh, we know that because uh, we we collect sales tax Um, and we we know those numbers and that's not from people who are living in our community and I know that's always the challenge with the way um, the statistics are reported oftentimes because they look at populations without really looking at the population that we serve if we were to have a a police department that served sixty-eight thousand people and roughly no we weren't a regional center we wouldn't have 111 sworn peace officers Um, so uh, we we were built for a larger group so that's what some of those things you're going to talk about in those statistics and you're going to also um, on Tuesday, go over the 30 years, just as a snapshot, you know, I'll just ask you the simple question, um, where is crime compared to what it was 30 years ago?
2: So it's interesting because when you look at, and that's, again, going to the numbers, what do we report every year to the Uniform Crime Reports? And they call them the Uniform Crime Reports because they're uniform in how we have to submit that information so that they can then compare cities across the country, Um, and and that's what we're bound to uh, in reporting those numbers. But when you look at that over the 30-year trend, um, when you just look at it, Visually, it looks just flat, and you wouldn't expect that with how the growth of our city has been. We've definitely grown. If you think 30 years ago, what used to be fields is now residential neighborhoods and businesses. There are over
0: 20,000 people just living in the city alone, more than there were 30 years ago. And that's just in the city itself.
2: And that's just in the city. When we think about the outskirts and the areas outside of the city limits that have grown um, and and all of that population is using our city in the daytime population, the service population, as you said. Um, So you think about that and our calls for service reflect that. We go to calls that uh, have increased in a, a similar fashion to that growth. But when you look at the crimes at both part one and part two crimes, and that's how the Uniform Crime Reports works, it's very flat. In fact, when you put a trend line in, it's actually trending down um, in both of those areas. Um, And I can attest a little bit um, anecdotally to that, too, as an officer that was on the street as a patrol officer 25 years ago. Um, And I remember, you know, what it was like then. And I remember what I know what it's like now. um, And and I think that fits as well. So either way you look at it, I think when people say, show me the numbers, because I want to see, can't we just see the numbers? We can. Um, And and again, it's trending downward. And that's a great sign, given what our growth of our area and our city uh, has done. And that's grown uh, a great deal. Right. And, and, you know, we you don't normally, for statistical
0: purposes, use point in time. But I think point in time is important because people use point in time when they they want they call me. <laughs> They'll say when I was, you know, in college at this date or, or such, um, you know, or 10 years ago. Um, and if you look at those point in time, I mean, our, our numbers actually, those percentages are pretty significantly down from 2008 to 2018. And 18 is where you're at right now as far as the, the numbers that you're – you're looking at 18, 19. I mean, we're, we're going to
2: look at 18 numbers because 19 haven't officially gotten back to us. The, the reporting works that we have to send it away and they make sure to analyze it and make it uniform and then give it back to us. And that's the federal government and the state. Um, and so we haven't gotten our 19 numbers back, but we will mid-March, end of March, we'll get those back. So for now, we'll use 18 data going back 30 years.
0: Well, I, I always, because I get this often, I say, well, things weren't, you know, and especially when people talk about the 90s, 90s were... If if you look at you know, over the last thirty years, actually, if you look over the last fifty years, the '90s were huge spikes. I recall because I was a, I was a legislator at the time, and it was the, the point in which the, uh, at that time, the gang strike force was created. Uh, and that gang strike force, I remember having these discussions as a legislator and saying, you know, that should represent Greater Minnesota, Saint Cloud, and they'd say, you don't, you don't have any gang activity in Saint Cloud. That's what I heard from legislators from Saint Paul and Minneapolis and the you know areas where. Um, And then, of course, uh, what happened, I think it was 97, 98, um, Representative Joe Opatz at the time had somebody shot in his front yard, the gang activity. Um, That actually got St. Cloud into the bill, (laughs) and that has translated into the Violent Offenders Task Force. It's gone through a lot of uh, of transition and, and metamorphosis to what it is today, but that's a regional approach, and you can't do anything, really, without a regional approach when you're a regional center and you collaborate with that. But... I want I want to focus now um, so we can you know you 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 folks deal with the folks on the street and you, and you do a lot of the preventative things too and we can maybe talk come back to that a little bit too because it's not just just arresting and your clearance rate by the way uh, for the Saint Cloud PD is one of the highest in the nation and that is when you arrest somebody or when you when a crime is committed. Uh, The fact that you actually have somebody that can be turned over to our prosecutors and into the judicial system is higher than most cities in the country. And that's a testament to the training and the the leadership. Um, But... Doesn't really work without without the legal aspect of this, and not only in the prosecution, but um, you often and this is what I really like about the, the team approach that we have here. And is when when something's not working quite right, whether it's in a in a neighborhood, this we've had all kinds. You know, you identify those things. Uh, and then you turn that over to legal to look at. Maybe we need to change the ordinance. Maybe we need to draft. Um, you can talk about social hosts. You can talk about some of the issues with properties, things that give you tools to make those neighborhoods better places to live. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do the, the same thing uh, to our city attorney Renee. I want you to introduce yourself. Talk about um, you know why do you serve and uh, a little bit a little background and uh, and uh, what you do.
3: Thank you, Mark Leis, for having me. Yes, yeah, so my background, I actually started my legal career here in the city of St. Cloud at the St. Cloud City Attorney's Office uh, back in 2007, right after I graduated from law school. This is where I first came. And I've been in the community ever since. So I was here for eight years as an assistant city attorney. After that, I went to the Stearns County Attorney's Office for about four years to focus on some felony level prosecution. And then after that, I took the position of the deputy city attorney back in 2018. And the more recent appointed, um, in July of 2019, as the city attorney, and I'm happy to be the city attorney for this wonderful city.
0: Well, we're happy to have you, and and it, you have you have quite a team too. Um, you know, you have a, a number of attorneys that deal in, and, and it's not just the aspect and we're talking a little bit. we probably focused a little bit more on the prosecution and the areas of ordinances, uh, but you also do civil. Uh, things, uh, a civil, uh, but you have a number of a team that, that works in that, in that realm.
3: We do. So we have seven attorneys at the city attorney's office, and five of those are dedicated mostly to the criminal division, and then two of us do the civil side. So as you indicated, there's a lot going on in the civil side as well that often ties in. Yeah, every
0: now and then somebody sues the city. Correct. Yeah, you know, <laughs>
3: We get that. Aside from that. Uh, with, uh, that's
0: that's our, you do a good job there, too. Or your, your rate is pretty good. Oh, your with your our, victory rate is
3: pretty good. Yes. Mm-hmm. With our uh, prosecution efforts as well, we do. We draft a lot of the ordinances and work together with the other departments. In fact, we're involved with all of the departments as the legal advisor and providing them assistance with everything that comes up from the police and looking at ordinances and policies and ways we can collaborate with one another to look at addressing a problem in the community as well as with um, the health inspections department. We work with them daily, I mean quite frequently in terms of ordinances, enforcement, actions, helping them proceed with those
0: I think a lot of times for for people because in it it's you know it's it's we you wouldn't expect everyone to know every aspect of government and what's different um maybe break down what what um criminal cases do you prosecute versus what you did when you were over in the county What does a county prosecute versus what is a what is a city attorney prosecute
3: Sure. So we have jurisdiction over the petty misdemeanor, misdemeanor, and gross misdemeanor offenses of a certain type since we're the city of second class. So we deal with the all the misdemeanors. Second class
0: is just a technical term. We're not a second class
3: city. Correct. <laughs> There's only a couple
0: of those first classes. It's cities below 100,000 in actual population. Right?
3: Correct. Yes, so that determines what type of cases that we actually have jurisdiction over to prosecute. So because of that, again, all petty misdemeanors, so that's all your traffic offenses that occur within the city of St. Cloud. And we also prosecute for the cities of St. Joseph, Sartal, and White Park as well. So everything that occurs in those cities that's traffic-related, the city attorney's office has jurisdiction over. We also do all the misdemeanor-level offenses, which would compromise mostly your property-level offenses to so all of your shoplifting cases. And that's anything that's $500 or less. We prosecute all of those offenses, it could also be something related to bad checks or check forgery, tampering with motor vehicles, just anything in that property realm. We also do all the disorderly conduct, obstructing legal process, everything that relates to those types of situations. In terms of person crimes, we have jurisdiction over all of the misdemeanor level crimes for person crimes, so that would be like your fifth degree assaults, that would be stranger to stranger assaults. Domestic assaults, so that would be significant romantic partners, people that share households. We prosecute all of those domestic-related offenses, as well as order for protections if they file for one of those. Domestic abuse, no context, or orders stemming from the domestics. Again, we prosecute the misdemeanors. With the gross misdemeanors, we prosecute all the DWIs. So we do do all the misdemeanor DWIs as well as all gross misdemeanor DWIs. We also have jurisdiction, because of that population size, to do all the thefts in the city of St. Cloud that are gross misdemeanor level. So that would be based on the f- amount. So the value of the theft. So $1,000 or less to 500, so that's our breakdown, 500 to 1,000, would be a gross misdemeanor level offense. And then we also have jurisdiction to prosecute those. In comparison, then the county attorney's office prosecutes all felony level offenses, and then they do any of their gross misdemeanor person crime offenses. We don't have so, jurisdiction over the gross misdemeanor, person crimes.
0: So another way to look at that, you you prosecute those folks that uh, if they do end up serving some time, they're going to be in a county jail, and Correct. the county if they're going to do some time in the in the big house at the state uh, prisons, that would be the county folks that do
3: that. Correct,
0: But you also do, and this is, I'm going to, I'm going to turn, uh, maybe, maybe together you can kind of answer this, <laughs> these questions. You do a lot of um, the aspect of that quality of life and when it comes to helping with police, uh, helping with uh, neighborhoods, helping with, you know, with inspections, um, the aspect of ordinance, um, you know, ordinances and in, in anybody in the public, if somebody has an idea that they think, um, you know, was they don't think there ought to be a law, <laughs> you know, uh, if it If it makes sense, or if they're, and a lot of times in law enforcement, you know, um, it's just a matter of uh, we focus on a lot of that livability piece, and you know, it's important that neighborhoods are safe. Um, from a lot of aspects and uh, it's some of it's some of those things that I don't think oftentimes people think about the public safety piece of, of the, the, the you know the aspect of inspections um, You deal with a lot um, uh, in, a, in a broad group, so I'll turn it over to our our director uh, of, of our, uh, our inspections department uh, Matt O'Brien Matt Again, what's your passion? Why do you serve and a little bit about yourself?
4: Thank you for having me um, well I started my uh, career with the city here back in uh, 2011. So I was going on my ninth year here. Um, time does fly, it does not seem like it's been that long, but I started as the animal control officer. Um, my background is in biology, went to uh, Bemidji State, grew up in Forest Lake, so kind of generally central Minnesota area, um, but came to St. Claude to do animal control. And that's really where my, where my passion started. So I, it kind of morphed um, over time. Um, I've always been interested and been a part of public service. Uh, worked for the state, worked for Fish and Wildlife Service, so I had the state and federal level, then came to the city um, w- with that uh, public service in mind and with a love for animals um, doing animal control. And then working in St. Cloud morphed my um, passion and love for public service even more and geared it towards St. Cloud, not just, loving animals and biology. It, it just grew into, um, just everything we do in the department. So in, uh, 2015, I was promoted to assistant health director. And then in 2018 to health director in the process, got a, a master's degree at, uh, St. Cloud state, um, uh, to kind of further my education there. But, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, um, an increasing love for everything we do. Um so one from animals to housing and co enforcement to environmental health, there's a like food pool, lodging inspections, um,
0: just a different group
4: of animals just a, in some of the area. Yeah. and, and the, <laughs> I can say that. you <laughs> and, and you talk about all those divisions and there's so much overlap. When you talk animal control versus housing and code enforcement and environmental health, they sound like they're completely different things, but all of our inspectors work with each other on a daily basis and all of our inspectors are cross-trained to do those other things because there's so much overlap. Um, so it just naturally just progresses and, and morphs into um, each other division.
0: Well, maybe like I like I was asking, um, or city uh, attorney as, as director, health director, you know what what aspects um, do you do you have um, as far as you know? Obviously, animal control is one. Um, you know, you deal with the apartments, and but what you know, there's quite a bit um, under your under your supervision. Uh, what are some of those areas that people would you know day day to day public safety things that you deal with?
4: yeah so we have three divisions animal control is obviously um, one is actually our smallest division and then we have housing code enforcement which does our uh, rental inspections uh, general code enforcement nuisance inspections so we enforce the property maintenance code that applies for properties, um, regardless if they're licensed rental properties or not, any homeowner needs to maintain their property uh, to a certain standard, and same goes with businesses. Um, But then we go into every single rental property, we have about uh, close to 15,000 dwelling units that we inspect um, to make sure that their livability is um, up to the right standard, life safety um, conditions are addressed, and then uh, those same inspectors respond to every single code violation complaint that they get. And then the the last division would be environmental health doing our food inspections um, grocery stores and restaurants we have a um, delegation agreement with the department of ag and department of health to do those inspections
0: and um, in, in most in most cities in minnesota uh, those inspections uh, are done by the state um, cities of the, I think there's just large cities here um, to do those. Uh, I would assume there are not many cities that do their own Correct,
4: correct. So the Department of Ag, which is the grocery stores, convenience stores, there's only seven delegated agencies, uh, most being counties or larger cities. We're the smallest of all those, so it's it's really good to um, have that delegation and have control over these establishments and making sure they're safe. We can have uh, more of a personal touch on the enforcement and, and verifying that these are safe places to eat, safe places to buy food, whereas the state they bounce around, um, well, across the entire state based on, uh, people in various areas, but we can uh, be in those establishments more often. Create have, a relationship. Create that your- relationship with, with the establishment, um, owners. And then with the food establishments, um, we have. Uh, five, 600 establishments that we license in environmental health. And it, it does include the lodging establishments, which is our hotels, motels, and then public swimming pools as well.
0: Yeah, five, 600 food establishments.
4: Five six hundred with environmental health, mostly being food. Yeah. Um, as far I just, as I,
0: that's, I just wanted you to, to repeat that because every time a restaurant closes again, same with public safety, they think all of our restaurants are closed. <laughs> <laughs> there are more restaurants now than uh, at least the number is probably the most uh, in the city's history if you look over the period of time. Um, so with with you know it's always sad to see one go, um, but for a lot of reasons um, you know businesses um, uh, have to but a lot of other ones come in, so and it's important. I think that's the piece that, to me, of all the public safety things, um, I really want to make sure that when I go to a restaurant I'm not going to get sick. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> um, has to eat. And, and Yeah, that's an important piece. Maybe talk a little bit, because a lot of uh, what the city has done over the last years uh, has been, and this is actually for all of you in that respect, but uh, when it comes to ordinances, some of the things that are identified, we, we went through a whole process, um, it's called, Uh, best practices where, uh, you know, a lot of, like a lot of you folks were actually part working with the neighborhood. What can we do to strengthen um, neighborhoods in a way that, um, you know, you you always have, and and most, and this is always the, the, the tough thing to say, most landlords do the right thing. Most homeowners do the right thing. It's the ones that do not make it. You know, for some, it's always. It, you know, it just seems like it's all of them, and that's always a challenge. But you've put tools in place. Uh, how does that? How does you know? Let's say somebody has an idea for something. How does that? How does an ordinance happen um, in that respect? Maybe. Yeah. Starts since you 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 draft all of that to make sure, sure it's illegal.
3: Thank you. I would encourage them to come forward with the ideas they could present it to us, you know, either at the city council meeting or sending emails out if they had ideas of things that they wanted to address in a different way. And certainly any concerns that are raised, we look into and see if there's something out there that either we could do a little bit differently, or if they come up with an idea of something in a way to change an ordinance or add to an ordinance or addressing just needs out there in the community, I can speak to one of them regarding our massage ordinance. And that was one of the needs in the community was looking to strengthen that um, given there was some concerns over how the ordinance was and that we weren't uh, looking at enough of criteria in terms of when we were actually licensing individuals so that's a a, one example of a way that we took a second look at the ordinance looked at what other cities have been doing out there to see if there was something that we could do to strengthen our ordinance and that
0: actually led the way regionally and that's, you know, that's one of those issues that uh, you get into uh, not only the illegal activity, but you get into sex trafficking and you get into a, a number of other issues. And in a lot of cases, uh, maybe turn this over the law enforcement folks. You get a lot of folks, they're not, they're not just doing one illegal activity. Uh, these are really getting at um, places that, um, uh, that are causing a lot of challenges in, in all of that. And that's just a matter of changing an ordinance. Um, because not having that in place actually furthers, and this is the thing that's I think a challenging for a city in general, because we'll, we'll often uh, you know get the issue, well, you should just enforce what you have. Well, you we are forcing what we have, um, but some of those tools don't exist, so it's a matter of strengthening that through an ordinance and, and maybe talk, that was a collaborative effort. I think City of St. Cloud was the first to lead in that, in that change, and then oh, I think all the cities have, have gone as part of that.
3: Yes, in the region, definitely. It was a very collaborative effort. It was between the Central Minnesota Human Trafficking Task Force and from that, which includes police, county, city as well, we came up with um, wanting to look at our ordinance to try to strengthen it based off of what some other cities in the state had done, but we were the first in our area to come up and draft that ordinance. And I believe now it's going before uh, the city of Sartell through their city council as well. They're going to adopt a similar ordinance and the city of White Park after St. Cloud adopted theirs also adopted uh, the same ordinance for the city of White Park as well so helpful we did. and
2: PD yeah and I think it's a it's a way that we can not just be reactive and uh, and go out and use uh, what we have for resources to enforce again as you said the existing law we can do that but what we also see is uh, an opportunity to be proactive in preventing this stuff from happening. And, and that, I think, keeps our city and our community healthy um, by doing both, right? We, we react and we enforce the laws that we've got, but we also look at ways of being proactive. And this is a great example of where an ordinance helps us uh, to screen things out, to keep them from getting here so we don't have to react to it because it just can't get established.
1: And you know, let let me add to uh, just so people understand, oftentimes, uh, ordinances are, are born out of necessity uh, and I'll give you an example the tremendous growth that our city in this region uh, has seen over 10, 20, 25 years uh, necessitates us to take a different look at things and it, it's as simple as just volume right there clearly are more people that are coming to this region that live here now as opposed to before and and so Things that come to mind right away are, boy, parking, right? You you need more space and and you need more ordinances, I I think, not just so that we have more laws, but so that we can maintain right, some semblance of order uh, and civility. And and I like to add this for folks to help them understand or just conceptualize. And you mentioned our population earlier. Population-wise, this city is the same as Egan right, down in the metro, a bedroom community, or a or Woodbury. Uh, but comparisons to those places are patently unfair. You yeah, can get smaller during the day. And, and if you think about it this way, when school is in, St. Cloud is the largest city between Fargo and Minneapolis. And, and a lot of people don't think about it that way. And I mean just the population-wise, just the number of students who come in and are living on campus adds to our residential population for nine months out of the year. So we're talking, what, a 230-mile stretch between Fargo, North Dakota, and Minneapolis. St. Cloud is the biggest city between those two. Uh, And so those are things that we keep in mind when we're working with with the legal team or health and inspections and and trying to draft orders because messaging is important, and we need our community to know we're not just putting more laws on the books to be heavy-handed. Uh, but there are lots of things, uh, lots of variables that play into that. And creating the tool, I think
0: one of the things that I think is always a challenge because without those tools and sometimes there's an ordinance um, This sometimes that activity that's detrimental to a neighborhood or or a, or, or a business community or whatever that may be or individuals will continue to happen because there are no tools in order to enforce that um, Mr. Health Director you so then you're in that same aspect as we started uh, then you, you deal with the inspection piece
4: of that Correct. It's been uh, both a review process and inspection process going back to the, the massage um, inspections. Um, and same goes for every ordinance, um, part of the drafting. Um, police are part of uh, the law enforcement or criminal aspect of any of these ordinances that we pass. Um, m- massage inspection is uh, just a great example of the collaborative nature of everything that we do. Um, and uh, with that, um, with the massage, um, the review portion is big to prevent those establishments from coming in and the inspections of it, uh, what we've done on that has been, uh, kind of uncharted, uncharted territory from what anybody else is doing in the state. And that's what we try to do for any of our type of inspections. We try to be fair, consistent, um, and then very thorough. Um, and with the massage establishments that we've inspected, uh, we've gotten through all of them, about 25 of them. And, um, fortunately and unfortunately we've shut down. Uh, five or six of them, um, and they're no longer able to operate in St. Cloud for 10 years. Um,
0: and, that, and I think you're, you hit on it right, and that's the aspect of fair and consistent. That's no different in enforcement and no different in why we pass ordinances that pl- apply to everyone and you inspect those types of things. And I, I think there's a there's a lack sometimes of folks understanding there's a, a lot of this is um, designed to be preventative. You, you create an ordinance, so these are the boundaries that a community has set for itself um, to prevent things from happening. Uh, there are fines, and there they're, we're not in the business of collecting fines for revenue to pay for everybody. In fact, we'd prefer to not collect any fines at all uh, in these things, but they're designed to to Uh, to prevent the behavior in fact um in some cases we we have to i know this is a little bit in your in the inspection some folks will will not pay anything until right till they have to they almost use it as a bank and we're you know (laughs) so you create more enhanced penalties to prevent that from happening Uh, but i think um one thing i wanted to and i want to just go back before we we, before we conclude here and that um in in the area of public safety and i I think it's in all aspects um, a lot of it is in not only in what we write to prevent in ordinances such but working with different groups um, you know our public safety starts with you know kids in the school and kids and chief this is something I've b- been very impressed that you started a few years ago and that's the the Skyla program uh, where you're where you're actually um, you know taking folks that may be identified by your own officers your school resource officers in the school maybe heading down the wrong direction and uh, just giving that gentle gentle push in the right direction and follow up maybe talk a little bit about some of the outreach that um, you do to to, to to prevent so you know your folks as um, is, is good as they are at what they do don't want to be having to arrest people and to incarcerate people they would rather prevent that and I think I can tell in when I look at the, when I'm at events with your officers that's where their passion is is to the prevention piece whether it's the Skyla program or whether it's the uh, you know, Bigs and blue, or it's a Boys and Girls Club, or whether you know um, that's a piece. So talk a little bit about that piece. I think that's
1: even more important to a community. yeah, i think I think we have a great platform from from which to start. Um, and it for me, it starts with the kinds of people that we hire. We've actually changed our hiring process to make sure we attract the kind of people who are service oriented. Uh, and that's paid great dividends for us. I'm going to share this portion with, with the chief, because there's so many things that we do. I can't possibly remember them all, uh, nor would I try. But uh, with respect to the to the youth engagement, I'll just start there. Um, and we've got initiatives um, that that work across the entire community. And so it doesn't stop with, with youth. But since you mentioned the St. Cloud Youth Leadership Academy, I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, Plain and simple, we don't want those folks as clients later. And for me, and history has taught us that early and sustained intervention for an at-risk youth, you get a great return on your investment. So uh, the Amherst Wilder Foundation in St. Paul actually did a study that will tell you, for every public dollar you invest in in your community's youth, what you can expect to get back. Now, more practically, we want to build better citizens right? Uh, because they're, they're going to grow up and they're going to stay here. A lot of them and, and, and they're going to be adult members of our community. And so we, we want their behavior to reflect the, the values of this community, uh, in the minimum expectations. And so that's why the curriculum covers everything from conflict resolution to, to table etiquette. Um, and, and, and then it's another way for, for those young people to see our officers in a different way. Um, you know That uniform we wear is a symbol of a lot of things. It's a symbol of service, sacrifice, and, and for some people, um, it's a symbol of fear or, or perhaps oppression. And so we want them to know there's a human being behind that uniform. Uh, and so that's why uh, our officers serve as the staff. And, and the best part about it is once that particular camp is over, it's a week-long deal where we get them out of the neighborhood um, so that they can focus but we continue to mentor those young people until they graduate from high school. And we try at least once a quarter to get those as many of those kids as we can together with the staff to do a service project, whether it's packing food for the homeless uh, at River's Edge uh, or going to serve uh, in some capacity at the Whitney Center. Um, we, we try. It's, it's, it's one of the hardest elements because you're talking about young people, and they've got their own – things to do and their friends to be with and jobs or whatnot but that's also part of the program Um, and it's something that we're very proud of Uh, and I think the officers well no I don't think I know because they've told me they get as much out of this as the kids do and and we build relationships early on right Uh, because it's it's a lot more difficult to do that when when you're just responding when there's a crisis uh, and, and so we want to try and mitigate those crises and build that relationship before, you know, some crises uh, is affecting that young person's life. Uh, and, and in some instances, if they are already in crisis, we, we want to help try and ease that or give them some tools to work through that. So I could go on and on all day, but I'm, I am want to let the uh, assistant chief talk about some of the other things we do and the why.
2: So one of the other programs that we have that's really been successful I want to talk about real briefly is our community action team. And that's been a collaborative effort between a whole bunch of community uh, partners and stakeholders uh, with what we started to find are those people that were kind of in the revolving door of needing police service. Um, These are the people that we were going to quite often. um, It might be 30 contacts in a month or, or very high numbers. Um, And we kept going because people kept calling us on these individuals, and and they would usually end up going either to jail or to the hospital maybe, uh, maybe to detox, uh, one of those places. Um, But when we started analyzing it and talking with our partners, we found that a lot of these people, of course, had underlying reasons they were spinning in that revolving door. Um, So instead of just going to that response rate, which a, a normal historical police department or policing would do and just keep responding to the calls for service and taking them where they need to go that day we worked with our community partners and started connecting the dots and and sharing information in a legal way and that was one of the challenges is to make it so we could share information with those partners but so that we could connect the dots get those people the resources they needed and what we saw was those uh, contacts dropped dramatically so now those people are kind of out of that revolving door Um, It's saving everybody money. All the institutions involved are saving money because we're not having those expensive transports and contacts and and personnel time. Um, And then most fundamentally and most importantly, the people that were uh, stuck in that door are out. Uh, And they they were served well uh, by everybody, uh, including the police department. So that's just another great example of um, of prevention, of, of really doing the most we can to maximize our opportunity to have impact on people's lives and and it, it's not just the police department or not just the city um, it's our community and that's the beautiful part about it so that's the kind of stuff that fires me up like I said that makes me uh, want to come every day to work and and take on the next challenge. And I think you
0: know even the even the in the uh, city attorney's office uh, part of that has also been dealing with other young folks and that was an ordinance change a number of years ago dealing with the diversion program out of it came out of a partnership and collaboration with st cloud state uh, you choose program Mm -hmm. so uh you talk a little bit about uh, some of that outreach piece and and i'll turn it over to matt talk a little bit some of the outreach you do to folks that you're regulating
3: yeah, so with the UCHS program, that is through St. Cloud State University, and what it is for is people who get their first minor consumption and have not participated in the program before, and really what it is is a diversion program, so it gives them the opportunity to get some education and training about drinking alcohol and the things that can happen when you misuse alcohol and their lives and how it can affect them. And it gives them good education. It's not just a scare tactic. It actually provides them with a good tool. I actually went when we first got this program and I learned things. (laughs) So I found it very helpful and we're seeing a lot of success with it. So they go through the program one time.
0: I've seen the numbers. Yeah, they've fallen dramatically
3: dramatically and then they don't come back and see us before that we would have you know some individuals that would have five yeah. six seven easy eight. to pay
0: 180 from mom or dad and <laughs> and be done Just be done with it and not having to actually
3: Exactly. So we've seen a lot of success with it. And the feedback also from the college students that participated in the program was positive. So they enjoyed it as well. So they learned something from it. And so it's a win-win for the community, for these individuals and resources because we're using, again, less resources with these individuals because we're not seeing them come back again and again and again. Another program, too, if I could talk about it, was uh, the Veterans Protocol. So that's something that's um, I think I forgot to hit on my passion, so I apologize for that. But mine is um, a minister of justice. And really, honestly, what it means is that I love to get involved with programs, the same thing, where I can see the benefits for the community and administering justice so that everybody is better off because of it. Um, my background, I was a domestic abuse advocate prior to going to law school, um, where I was in the courtroom every day. and I loved it and I wanted to get into the courtroom and that was where my true passion was and I saw the effect that crimes had on people's lives um, starting with the individual not only that was charged but going to the victims that were affected and the families and the children and I really wanted to be a prosecutor from day one (laughs) and that was my passion always has been and it's given me that opportunity to work with these other community members and stakeholders and police and health inspections and everybody that we work with day in and day out to come together to develop these new programs that benefit everybody and again so going back to the veterans protocol I'm very proud of that. It's something that we started back in 2015 um, didn't
0: exist before that didn't exist before that
3: no and the city attorney's office was actually the one that started it and that we worked with the judges locally here Um, we worked with our probation department our public defenders office again a great showing of collaboration between all these agencies and stakeholders to come together to address the needs of our veterans in a different way so we wanted to focus on combat vets um, initially so individuals that but for their service in the military and experiencing combat which we know is happening more and more now than it was to our previous deployments you know back in other areas it was one or two now it's on average there are about four deployments a person so that has increased the amount of mental illness that we're seeing from them um, dramatic increases so because of that they come back then um, and find themselves in a position that they maybe wouldn't have been Um, sometimes but for their service and what they experienced and so they unfortunately commit a crime and we're looking at it a little bit different trying to address the whole and looking at that person and trying to address their chemical dependency and mental health issues all in one and they go through the program and it's long it's about a year-long program it's pretty intensive um, but they come out of it again huge success stories Um, I know our rates at one point I think we're over 80 percent meaning that we had um, 80 percent of our individuals did not have any recidivism so didn't come back and commit a crime after completing successfully the veterans protocol so that is something that um has been great you
1: you know you know real quick um she just reminded me of something and knowing you you probably have this already down for a a podcast idea an episode idea but when i when i sit here and just think of the myriad ways the city departments collaborate with each other and the city as a whole collaborates with so many different entities Mm -hmm. in this community that's probably a series of episodes. Oh, yeah. We we have a lot.
0: We haven't even got to, and that's going to be an episode. We talk about the the Public Safety Foundation, the cop House, and all those things, because it is. And I I say this um, almost every time I I meet with folks, um, you know, uh, when people always say, well, the city should do this, the city should. You are the city. Um, so uh, if you live in the city whether you have a business whether you're a resident whether you're passing through you're the city um, part of the solution and most people stand up and they do. and step up because they are part of the solution they do. And, and that's an important piece and um, you know as, a, as health director and in inspections you 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 know again your your job same thing with public safety or or um, legal isn't a, a gotcha type thing you really want to prevent um, those types of things, especially in health, what are some of the, I mean some of the aspects of what you do to yeah. to actually prevent folks from, you know we don't you don't want to give out violations. It's a matter of working with folks to do the right thing.
4: Correct. Yeah, as uh, most of our work it revolves around license establishments. So we focus our resources on getting those license establishments um, code compliant and up to par, educate them with what the expectations are. Um, for rental, um, we require every single, property to have somebody that's gone through rental training. It's a four hour, um, uh, training program put on by police, um, with the uh, fire department and health and inspections, another collaboration that, that we do within the city. And every property owner that has gone through there have really appreciated it. And we get great feedback. I don't remember the last time we've seen, uh, negative feedback from that. So people really like it. And it tells uh, the property owner what to do to be a good landlord. Um, what the responsibilities are to find good tenants in their properties, how to maintain your property, and what happens for when you don't. Um, So we provide all those resources, go through those ordinances, um, and then when it comes to uh, environmental health, our food inspections, something that we're doing this year is we just got some grant funding to put on uh, some food safety training for our restaurants. Um, in town and uh, focus on some of those restaurants that maybe can't afford to send as many people through some of the food safety training so we can have safer restaurants. Um, and that's something we're... Hoping to have implemented by mid this year, later this year as well.
0: Well, so. that's again, like I said before, I want to make sure every restaurant I go to and I grab something to eat, it, it's safe and everybody's, you know, uh, doing all of the things they need to. Uh, you, you, uh, we, we uh, had an empty chair here, and and rightly so. He's had a really busy uh, week, um, Chief uh, Robel, who was our fire chief, uh, part of that fire uh, or part of that public safety piece is fire. Um, you know, with the loss of, uh, with the fire at the press. And I know all of you are involved because in some way each each aspect, and that's the thing about the city. And, um, in fact, I know, uh, Matt, you'll be involved, try to get that uh, restaurant next door uh, operating, uh, the Cowboy Jacks. But uh, thanks to the tremendous job that, um, you know, and that was a, co- a coordinated effort. I talked to Chief Roble, and uh, he gave me a list of folks that helped. And um, of all the departments, um, I think almost everybody is touched in some way to help it with that. When it w- whether it's you know police or in health inspections or whether it's public works or legal and all of the aspects of of getting you know things back to a, a state of normal. It's a tragic situation to to lose a business. Anybody's owned a business. I mean, businesses, especially you know here you got a couple of folks to start you know that took over a business in 2016 put a lot of time and effort effort into it and and um, you know to lose that Um, but thanks to the work of our you know firefighters to prevent other buildings from being destroyed I mean everybody else can go back to to work Um, Cowboy Jackson's the last piece and you know once uh, once that wall is safe and uh, they're ready to go back and they're excited about it I've talked to talked to them but uh, nobody was injured nobody died um, buildings can be replaced um, and so uh, that will take place and uh, so they did the they did the right thing and um, and that's and, and you know fortunately that's a rare thing I mean that's that's where inspection come into place so these things and, and you know we we have we have partners there too our federal folks coming in the ATF is here now doing the investigation uh, with resources uh, as I was telling somebody standing out there on on Saturday there's your federal tax dollars at work, which is good to every now and then to get to get those dollars back because they have the resources and the expertise that can come in, not only from an aspect of getting to the bottom of the cause, um, and which is which is going to be helpful in, in all aspects, but um, you know, getting to a cause, you you deal with this inspections. If they can if you can learn something on what caused it, how the fire spread, that will save lives in the future for for fighting the fire or just determining uh, what you know, what you have to do to, to properly run. And, and our folks, um, they're following, and they're, you know I know they've been watching the ATF, but they're, it's like a training exercise. They're, they're really getting a lot of expertise from
2: folks that this is all they do um, is inspect in that respect. Yeah, I think yeah. one thing just to note, too, and, and uh, as a police officer, we confront dangerous things and, you know, do all that. But boy, I, I admire those firefighters because the job they did of going in a building like that when it's on fire, um, that scares me. <laughs> and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and these, these people uh, go in there and do that to just like you said, to check for people, to try to stop it from spreading. Um, and I give them a, a great deal of credit for that because that, that's a tough job and a very dangerous one and, and thankfully nobody was hurt none of our firefighters were hurt but uh, they just did an outstanding job yeah they did and talking to chief uh, Robel and we were at a, our, our press conference
0: the, the day after the, the fire you know and it was still smoldering behind us and um, you know as he and he's, he's been a firefighter for a long time that's the most dangerous fire he's ever experienced and you know if not for um, you know that's where, that's where training and comes into and that professional, that bravery. You know, I had 20-some firefighters in that building. And um, once they discovered, uh, Battalion Chief uh, Raymond discovered that, um, you know, um, they, they, they could hear the fire, they couldn't see it. They were the smoke was just uh, unbelievable, and then at some point, uh, because of his training and instinct, um, got everybody out there within five minutes. The floor had collapsed, and the building was entirely engulfed. Uh, that would have been a loss of uh, life, and we've seen that around the around the world uh, where that has happened. But um, uh, that's where training kicks in, and and that instinct. And you're right, going into a building that's, you know, that's on fire. And, and thanks also, you know, in that case, you had a citizen. Fire alarm went off. You know, they smelt smoke. They didn't just um ignore it um they called um and that timing was another piece so uh, and and tonight we're actually at the council uh, meeting we're going to recognize not only the firefighters and the folks that support it but we had people you know restaurants whose business businesses are closed at the moment because of the fire are cooking food bringing it over and i know i know you all you know you get that pd all the time in fact they i, I had fire some firefighters said that you know they brought over steaks from uh, cereals on fifth they weren't even open yet they were they were still. They were okay to <laughs> to serve. I'm just looking at my <laughs> elephant. They were good. They were good. <laughs> they were okay because they, they got were the doing verbal their, okay from They us. were doing their practice <laughs> deal, so they brought over some food. We even had some, you know some some nursing students in St. Cloud State that brought over pizzas, uh, you know, and uh, people just, Uh, you know that's the nice thing about this community you really in times that are of need you really get an indication of what a community is really like and we saw that so uh, I want to thank you all for for coming in on the podcast and talking about what you do and thank you for your your service to the city I mean I I think the citizens and I know and I I think the community uh, understands I mean you've got very uh, highly educated dedicated professionals that do what they do because they care about the community that, that they serve and So thank you for your service, and thanks for coming in on this podcast. Um, for those listening, um, you, know, you obviously know where to get the podcast. You're listening to it. Uh, but uh, these will be uh, from time to time. We'll look for more of them uh, coming up soon. Uh, and uh, until the next pos- podcast, uh, have a great time.